creation of a new information operations technical training school. So in our business of national security, where our job is to fly, fight, and win, we better be masters at this game of innovation. Air Force Basic Military Training has an updated curriculum with a new focus on readiness and lethality. This is the Developing Mach 21 Airmen Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome in to episode number nine today of Developing Mach 21 Airmen. Thanks for the subscribe, stream, or download. However, you might be listening in today. And if you have some extra time, we certainly would appreciate some stars or even a review of the podcast, letting us know how we're doing, bringing you timely and relevant info across the recruit, train, and educate spectrum. My name is Dan Hawkins from the Air Education and Training Command Public Affairs Office and your host for this professional development podcast dedicated to bringing total force Big A Airmen insight, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from the recruiting, training, and education field. For this second straight podcast, we farmed it out for action, and this time it's with the 82nd Training Wing at Shepard Air Force Base in Wichita Falls, where James Rumfeld and the team from the PA office at Shepard go in-depth with a pair of avionics fundamentals course flight chiefs to talk about how they have reimagined what the training environment looks like when it comes to breaking long-held industrial age paradigms. One of the biggest focus areas for Lieutenant General Steve Quast, our commander here in AATC, has been breaking those long-held training paradigms that the Air Force has really used for a long time. The first one is the fact that the Air Force controls learning and flipping that paradigm and giving control of learning to the students is now the goal here in AETC. The second paradigm that we need to break is that time is the constant. So a course has typically had a length associated with it, whether it's 30 days, three months, or a year. Now we're trying to shift that focus to an airman's competency level. So if they display the competency to pass a course in a shorter amount of time, that we give them credit for that and move on with the next step in their career. The final paradigm is the fact that we just teach airmen how to do a job and now the goal is to teach airmen in a holistic manner in the context of a mission how to do that job, providing a more ready warfighter to combatant commanders uh, as they move to their permanent assignments. So James Rumfelt from the Shepherd PA office sat down with two senior NCOs from the 365th Training Squadron, Master Sergeant Brian Kennedy, the Avionics Fundamentals Flight Chief, and Master Sergeant James Churchill, the Heavy Avionics Flight Chief, to discuss how the squadron and schoolhouses have been able to bust those long-held training paradigms centered around the case study of a New Mexico Air National Guard airman who is able to graduate from the avionics fundamentals and electronic warfare course in less than a month. And just for perspective, to do both of those courses would be over five months uh, with the old time standard. So they really busted that paradigm. So they're going to talk about all the process that led up and how they executed 
that particular student's training experience. So it's pretty incredible to see how our technical training teams across all of our AETC learning centers are working to foster the command's vision of inspiring and developing airmen on a daily basis. So no more delay, let's settle in, have some fun. Episode nine of Developing Mach 21 Airmen starts right now. All right, morning, gentlemen. Uh, my name is uh, James Rumfeld with uh, 82nd Training Wing Public Affairs, and I'm here with uh, Master Sergeant Churchill and uh, Master Sergeant Kinney. Uh, you guys want to take a few minutes here and just uh, tell everybody a little bit about yourself. We'll start with uh, Master Sergeant Churchill. Just uh, where you're from, how long you've been in the Air Force, that kind of thing. Okay. My name is Master Sergeant James Churchill. I've been in the Air Force for about 13 years. I am currently the Flight Chief for the Heavy Avionics Flight in the 365th TRS. A little bit about me, I'm from Long Beach, California originally. Didn't live there for too long, don't consider that home, um, to be honest, because I spent most of my life in around Greensboro, North Carolina, which is home for me. My name is Mass Sergeant Brian Thomas Kennedy. I was born in St. Thomas, Virgin Islands. I grew up in New York and Long Island. Um, Served my country for 20 years in the Air Force as an avionics technician. I've worked F-15s, uh, C's, D's, and E's, and I've worked A-10A model aircraft. And now I'm here at Shepard uh, as a flight chief for the AVF flight section. Okay, awesome. Um, thanks, gentlemen. We're, we're here to talk a little bit today about uh, kind of a exceptional student you guys had go through, um, go through some courses that you both teach. Um, Airman Sandoval. So I want to start with uh, Mass Sergeant Kennedy. Um, as far as avionics fundamentals, uh, what are some of the different concepts airmen learn uh, in that basic course? Uh, and then like follow-on courses. And then if we can talk a little bit about like the time frame it takes for a typical airman to finish that course. Yeah, so the avionics fundamental course is a really important course. Every single avionics technician, no matter what model aircraft they go to goes through this course. It's what's used to build the very basic information that they need to be successful. We really talk about electronics, um, how uh, circuits work, how signals flow, and this type of information is really uh, needed as technicians go from that first level of being someone who's just holding a wrench, helping to remove a part, and when they start getting into the troubleshooting portion of uh, the career. So that's the, the part we do. We give them that basic knowledge, make sure they know how electricity works, how the different circuits work, and then just important concepts that they're going to need later on in life to troubleshoot as a technician. Gotcha. <clears throat> so I'm sure you have some interesting um, stories over the years, but like, uh, have you had like the extreme, so you've got this guy like Airman Sandoval, but have you had like the extreme uh, other end of the spectrum there where you have somebody come in who's literally never seen yeah, we, we have that a lot. We get people out of high school. They just did well in the ASVAPs, but they don't really feel comfortable. They don't feel like they have a lot of knowledge on electricity and signals and circuits other than, you know, they turn computers on and you know, they turn their TV on, but they never really thought about everything that goes into when you hit that switch and the, the signals that are transferring and how everything's turning on. And they're really nervous, a lot of them, when they first come here. Uh, and it's a little bit of a shock because you know, you're getting a college course, but you're getting it very condensed. So we're giving them a lot of information in a really short amount of time. Certain Kennedy's actually describing me coming through oh, really? as an airman. Yes, sir. I uh, 
surprised myself on the ASVAB. My electronic score was the highest, and I knew nothing about avionics or electricity. Right. And back then it was called electronics principles, but very much the same course, very similar. And it's it's it could be intimidating learning sure. all this stuff, and now you're talking about on airplanes. It's right. not just you know troubleshooting the lights in your house or your home computer. It's multi-million dollar avionic systems and we've got the real deal out here on the fly line so right. it was it was very intimidating as an airman and we do see that uh, in ADF and in the yeah. follow-on courses that's interesting Still. though that like the air force has been you know able to put together training you know for generations now that can mm -hmm. take a kid fresh out of high school and put them absolutely on combat aircraft all right that's that's awesome um next thing I want to ask about is some of the avionics specialties <laughs> that airmen could advance to once they finish ADF, like after after here. So there's a bunch of different model aircrafts and they've kind of been separated into different courses. The ones I'm most familiar with are on the fighter side. So a lot of the kids, they complete the AVF, they go over the fighters and they're going to go either through the F-15 course or the A-10U-2 course. F-16, F-35, F-22, or RPA. All those courses are, are combined underneath the fighter's flight. And then they used to have CV-22s, but they recently pulled them out, and they now go to additional training uh, outside of Shepard for the CV-22s. And on the, the heavy side, on a fighter, they have a lot of avionics. Uh, but those specialties, whether it's radios or electronic warfare, you're just avionics. Uh, but on larger aircraft there's more room so there's even more avionics so we split that up we just call those heavies and that could be c-17s which is what i worked on c-130 c-5s b1s b2s um, all sorts of bombers AWACS, the isr platforms which is intelligence surveillance reconnaissance uh, and those are split into even further down to specialty so you've got your comnav who work on radios navigation systems you have your electronic warfare the jammers the deception devices and then of course you have instrument flight control so all the gauges instruments that pilots are looking at when they're flying to make sure they have engine oil pressure fuel uh, that their flight services are doing what they're commanding them to do yeah wow Okay. And, and there so, is one additional course neither of us have anything to do with them but the back, the back shot course which is another uh, integral part in, in the maintenance complex. These are people that actually work on the LRUs that we would pull off of the aircraft. Okay, yeah, I remember a little bit about, when I was enlisted, I was munitions, and I remember mm -hmm. I had friends that were backshot, but I never really understood what that was. Yeah, we'll yes. take a part off the aircraft, and we'll send it back to an avionics backshop, and they, they crack it open, and they re uh, replace the circuit cards, resistors, okay. all that kind of stuff. Gotcha. Okay, awesome. Okay, so uh, Mass Sergeant Churchill, uh, if you could tell us just a little bit about EW and what uh, airmen trained in that specialty do, uh, with a couple examples for fighters and heavies, which you already kind of talked about. Okay. Um, and then about how long it traditionally takes an airman to complete that training. Okay, absolutely. So I'll do my best because I'm ComNav by trade. Uh, I went through the ComNav tech school and uh, shortly, a couple years ago, about four years ago actually, they, they merged my career field with EW and they called it the Mobility Air Forces course or Integrated Countermeasures Communications Navigations. So coming out to Shepard, I'm kind of behind the times on the EW stuff, but I had to learn, I had to pick up my lesson plans and teach that course. And EW is not too far detached from what ComNav is. We're still talking about receiving signals, but we're in ComNav, we're talking about radios, communications, navigation aids. In EW, it is more 
I want to know what the bad guy is using. I want to deceive him. I want to jam them. I want to make sure that they can't debilitate my aircraft in any way. So they learn a lot of really, really cool stuff over in EW. It was really interesting for me to, to go over there and learn some of that stuff. We're talking about not just jamming devices and receiving radar warning receivers, things like that, but also countermeasures dispensing, flares, oh, okay. chaff, gotcha. uh, those munitions that Right. dispense from the aircraft and they 100% keep the air crew safe so when we tell the airmen you know, hey you, you're keeping lives uh, you're keeping people alive EW we, we absolutely mean it those systems are going to be the last line of defense in some cases between a, a rocket right, or a right. missile hitting the aircraft gotcha uh, traditionally you know they have a couple courses over there that they teach they have one primarily for the ISR platforms which those are the radar warning receivers, the deception jamming devices. And that one is about 23 academic days. Okay. And then the course that Airman Sandoval went through, that's uh, about 51 academic days. So they're, they're here for a while. Yeah. And academic days, it doesn't count, take into account weekends or holidays, things like that. So it could really add up if they're um, here over a you know, Thanksgiving holiday yeah, or something sure. like that. Okay. Um, we can all kind of talk about this a little bit. I, I mean, I know we're... Uh, we talked about it a little bit before, but uh, when everything's said and done with uh, training considered for AVF and uh, EW, how many academic days were we looking at uh, with with uh, traditionally, like not what Sandoval completed in, but in terms of like both these courses combined? So you said your course was fifty-two days. It's uh, right around fifty-one academic days. And mine's thirty-nine. So you're looking at. 90 days worth of, of training. Mm -hmm. And as you said, that doesn't include weekends, that doesn't include holidays, right. sometimes anything it's, like that. Um, sometimes certain Kennedy's course and ABF will finish, and I physically don't have an instructor available, so the students go into uh, SOT status or SAT status, students awaiting training. Right. And we try to keep that to a bare minimum, but sometimes just due to instructors not being available or currently teaching a course, they might sit for an additional two, three days. Yeah, and that's if some you know if it if it doesn't hit over accident worst or case something scenario, like that, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, you know, they can really be here a long time. Um, so I know you guys are well versed uh, with some of the things uh, Lieutenant General Stephen Quast has mm -hmm. challenged AETC to do, uh, and as far as the the paradigms that he's thrown out, uh, those being that time is no longer the constant to give uh, some of that academic control of the student and to teach in context of the mission. Uh, in terms of uh, Airman Sandoval, um, what was your uh, recollection from a professional standpoint of this guy when he showed up? Oh man! So as soon as I met him, he was just professional. Uh, this is somebody who I like to describe as you know, the perfect three level. Right. Uh, I wish I could, you know, clone him. And every, everybody's got their issues, and not everybody adapts as easily to the military lifestyle as others. But I could tell he was he was very mature. Were you uh, guys both? Well, sorry, were you guys both younger? Because uh, Sandoval was in his like thirties, right? Correct, correct. I remember meeting him when we did our. And he's older than me. He's yeah, older than me. and uh, thinking like. Yeah, but even I want to say he was 36 or 37. I'm, I'm 31 now. I was 17 when I joined. I was in the delayed right, entry program. For a little, and I think I joined shortly after my 18th birthday. So. Okay. What about you? I actually came in just before I turned 21. I had initially gone to college, but 
you know, had some issues. It wasn't really something working out for me, and right. I got out of college and then came in the military. So I had that first kind of defeat in my life, that that first real real issue. And so when I came in, I was pretty pretty motivated, and I saw a lot of that in him. You know, mm -hmm. this was a guy yeah, who was professional. He was motivated. He was energetic. He wanted, you know, to move forward. And we gave him an option, and he really executed the plan mm -hmm. to the T. It was a lot on him. Yeah, for sure. I, like I said, I remember when I when I met him, thinking like, even at thirty one, I don't think I was this squared away. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. uh, so that that that's really interesting. Um, so, an opportunity definitely presented itself to do something different with Airman Sandoval uh, in relation to those paradigms. Um, can you just talk a little bit more about like how things shook out chronologically okay. when it came to his training in terms of uh, putting him on a fast track to get him to right. group training? So that actually started with myself. Um, I got a call from our training manager and he said, hey, I have an interesting case over here. Can you come across the street because I have a student that I think we can proficiency advance and I want to know your thoughts on it. And that's been around for a long time. Just Absolutely. Proficiency yep, yep. Advancement is it's, it can be difficult to do depending on because per the letter of the ATCI, which most of those have been rescinded or, or extremely reduced in size uh, under the old ATCIs, it was kind of difficult to do because they had to make it through all the tests and all the PCs and, and we still did that and Aaron Sandoval did great, but we were able to kind of deviate a little bit from that still within the letter of the law and the intent of the, the AFIs. Okay. Um, but yes, it has been around for a while. Okay. But I, So I got this call from our training manager. He told me to come across the street and he wanted to specifically, do you think this guy can be proficiency advanced through the course? And I instantly, being a different AFSC, said, all right, I'm going to grab a, a subject matter expert. And I brought one of my instructors, Sergeant Raymer, across the street and said, hey, we're going to sit down with this guy and I want your opinion because he's going to go to some of those platforms that you've worked your entire career and I came off of cargo C-17s working radios I, I want your opinion on, on this airman and kind of where he stands avionics wise and I knew he had some training some background yeah, what was that um, what was that uh... so he'd actually gotten a uh, associate's degree in uh, I believe aircraft maintenance mm -hmm. I think he had his AMP license, mm -hmm. and he would okay, actually been easy. working for the police department. Yes, maintaining, I believe, helicopters. Helicopters, yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's like their equivalent of like Blackhawks or something along right, those lines. Right. So we sat down, and it was it was just a no brainer uh, when I sat with him that he knew what he was doing. I mean, he could talk about. Uh, he gave one example of you know we just continuous wave radar. We you know I was like, well, in my job as a civilian mechanic maintaining. Helicopters. I've changed lots of radar altimeters, and they operate in this frequency range. And I've used these radios and these devices. And okay, what about you know? Have you used oscilloscopes? And have you used uh, spectrum analyzers? And he could walk you through it. And I'm telling you that when he went through the course, uh, we could sit back, and it was he, he could fire up the spectrum analyzer, fire up the oscope. I don't want to say better than the instructors, but as well as the instructors, I'll, sure. I'll say it that way. He was very proficient on it. So, so Sergeant Raymer and I kind of kind of quizzed him and sat down, and we were there for a while, kind of asking him what his experience was and where we thought we could start him. And between the, the three of us, my subject matter expert, the training manager, we decided that he could probably go right into the W course, which is what we initially did. Uh, we 
decided to forego the avionics fundamentals because he had already had that background. As okay. Kennedy was mentioning, uh, he knew how to use the basic hand tools because he'd been doing it for 10 years. He already knew how to use the O-scopes, spectrum analyzers. He knew how to uh, remove and replace components. The piece that he was missing was the Air Force side of, hey, these are the specific systems that we use on these airframes. This is how aircraft maintenance is done in, in the Air Force as far as the forms that we use, things like that. So we made the decision to put him into the electronic warfare course directly. And then about a couple weeks into it, uh, we realized we'd kind of gotten ahead of ourselves, so to speak, and that we hadn't crossed all of our T's down all of our I's. So that's when he ended up taking a hiatus from the EW course to go back to check those avionics fundamentals boxes with okay. Sergeant Kennedy. Gotcha. Yeah, I was sitting in the office. I got the phone call. They uh, told me basically what had happened, that they had thought that he could be waived from the AVF process and just go directly to the follow-on course. And then as they were doing the paperwork, they had found out that that was not the case in this situation and what we could do for him. So I said, this is what we'll do. We'll, we'll bring him in. We've got a couple of study rooms that we have for the students. We'll put him in a study room. We'll give him the block. He can review it and we'll test him. If he passes the test, we'll go on to the next block. If he can't pass it, that's exactly where we'll start him in the course and we'll look for the very first class that, that's at that point and we'll slide him in. Um, he was very confident when he came in, um, very professional. And we set it up and I told him, you know, this is a lot on you. How, how fast do you want to get through this? And he wanted to get through it really fast. He got through the whole course in five days. Wow. He came in, he sat down, took a block, reviewed through it, spent about 10 minutes with an instructor asking a couple quick questions, and then took the tests, and he did well on all his tests. And then we went and took him to the lab where we do our hands-on, and then just ran him through the lab real quick. Um, uh, it, it's really quick to do a single person on the lab. Sure. Normally we're doing 20 people at once, which kind of slows it down for a single instructor. But one-on-one, um, -on -one, they were able to accomplish the lab in, in I think, a day. Uh, so that got everything that he needed to do, the 82 objectives that are part of the AVF course. He was certified and everything. And then we <coughs> send him back the heavies to finish up the follow-on course. Okay. And, and something to point out, too, is when we did that initial sit down with Emerson Sandoval, we we made the decision and we said, let's let's come up with some goals. You know, what kind of time frame are you looking for? How fast do you want to do this? And what we had decided to do, just because all of our instructors, it's going to be very difficult for any schoolhouse to say, hey, I'm going to give you this one instructor to to sit with you, because most of the time those instructors have another class of eight to twelve students that they're working with, or even twenty in Kennedy's case. So we'd come with a, up with those goals, and we had decided that since he had had some college experience, let's let's do this like colleges do this, where um, you know if you've ever taken a college class online, they're very asynchronous. It's uh, you meet on your own time, and these are the sure. objectives you have done by the end of the week. Um, and if you can get them finished, cool. If not, then you're going to get zeros for those. Or uh, in Amber Sandoval's case, we we're not talking about zeros. We're just hey, how fast can you do it? That's a, that's up to you. How yeah. fast you want to do it. And we're going to go at your pace. And he yeah, kind of he, he was doing some like where what, maybe I'm wrong here, but I thought I remember hearing something about him doing like coming in on some weekends to work on some stuff. Or, so or I guess he was working he was on working it. on that stuff by himself on the weekends. Um, we would always sit down at the end of the day and like, okay, where are you at? Gotcha. 
gotcha. what do you want to do tomorrow? And he would say like, all right, well tomorrow I would like to complete this objective, this objective, this objective. So I'm gonna go home and study. Uh, over the weekends, he's studying Mondays where he normally he could get a lot done on Monday, like a block test or yeah. um, you know a couple of PCs knocked out because he had a whole weekend. He was very motivated, very dedicated um, to get that stuff done. He was never rushed by any of the instructors because we just said, hey, we'll go at your own pace. Yeah. You know, just like an asynchronous college course would go complete what you can on your own time and we'll, we'll be there to answer any questions as you need us that's awesome so was there like a i mean i'm sure every instructor that touched this was involved so mm -hmm. i'm not really looking for a number but was there more of like a small core group of people that were really ensuring that this was going through or was it was it a big collection for sure of for sure um one of our civilian instructors mr manning uh -huh. was absolutely in, uh, influential in getting Emma Sandoval out. Uh, Mr. Harrington, another one of our civil instructors, Sergeant Raymer, Sergeant DeLalo. Uh, we had a lot of, probably about four or five instructors that uh, really dedicated themselves, uh, stayed late to answer questions. You know, they would be on break from their class, their teaching, and they'd sit with Emma Sandoval oh, to awesome. answer any questions. Yeah. So, yeah. Pulling double duty. Yeah, for sure which instructors are often doing anyway. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so I think we've kind of gone over this, but just to kind of summarize it a little bit, when it was all said and done, uh, how long did it take him to finish uh, AFB and EW to the standards that were required by the curriculum? Right around 23 days. Okay. For a total, yeah, I mean, we, it was 90 days and we mm -hmm. finished it right around 23. That's incredible. Wow. We've already talked about some of the challenges during that process. I'm curious. I, I know he was doing a lot of like self-paced stuff, and he was doing a lot of one-on-one mm -hmm. -on -one stuff. But he was in the classroom. Like the day we came out to interview him, he was in. Uh, uh, he was on the flight line, but mm -hmm. in, a, in a in a training environment with mm -hmm. a bunch of other students. Just in terms of like the other students in the class, what was his effect on? Was everybody else more motivated trying to keep up with this Ab guy? Absolutely. Absolutely. That was something that every instructor, because uh, he, he would schedule his labs. You know, that's kind of what we called them. It's it just like in college, you know, schedule your lab with your professor. He would uh, either meet with myself or Mr. Manning and say, hey, well, uh, I'm at this point in the objective where I need to go out to the fly line and um, ops check the countermeasures dispensing system. Like, okay, well, I have a class going out tomorrow, so we'll pencil you in to go out with this class. And he absolutely had that effect on those students across the board just showing them what, what's capable uh, what somebody's capable of when, when they put their mind to it when they're focused and motivated uh, and they were all you know happy to see him complete those objectives so it was yeah, that's awesome. it was a, a mentality that just was contagious right so, everybody's kind of trying mm -hmm. to keep pace was that pretty much what you saw too Sergeant Kennedy he didn't have as much interaction with the students on the AVF side, going and a, a lot of it was because he was going so quick and just the way we do things. So for us, he was really just kind of like being on an online course. Okay. He had a room though instead, and it was paper books, mm -hmm. but it would be like him going going home, logging onto the computer, and he would here's the first thing I need to do, and read through it, take the test, complete it, move on to the next. Had a lot of interaction with, with a couple of our instructors and everyone who dealt with him, you know, really spoke highly of him, you know, because we did give him a lot of freedom. So he could have really kind of tried to play a game. He could have, you know, dragged sure. it out a little bit. He could have been, you know, trying to disappear. But, 
you know, it actually got to the point where I had to go check on him every now and then and make sure he was taking some breaks because I, I didn't want him to burn himself yeah, out. Same thing. Um, there was a couple of times where he was, you know, the day was done and he was like, you know, I'm really close to being finished with this block. Can we stay? So we made arrangements for mm -hmm. him with that. Um, but he didn't really have a lot of interaction other than, you know, when he went to the break room with, with the other students. Right, he doesn't have time. He's, uh, he's working. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, but I, I do think anyone, you know, that is well put together and really doing what they're supposed to, you know, that stands out. Right. And I think when you see that, you know, a lot of people try to emulate things when you see someone doing really well and, and they're looking uh, a notch above everyone. It kind of challenges everyone. So I think it was a positive experience. Sure. And I'm pretty sure that, you know, through the grapevine, everyone knew about him, even if they didn't really have to deal with him too much. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Which really makes me think, with that mentality that I was telling you was contagious, if we could afford this to the students on a broader basis, meaning maybe we had like a Canvas site or a .edu site where students could work like this at home, sure. I think there would be a lot of students, maybe not all of them, but I think a vast majority is, hey, we can get you out of tech school quicker if you right. go at your own pace and you have that mentality. I absolutely think that students would work to, to. I agree with you. We, we, we were talking about that um, last year, really, when, when we were looking at some, some big concept stuff in terms of how um, education, specifically for VR and AR, would mm -hmm. be like delivered to students. But in the future, down the road, what would that look like in a day room environment where you could go down and there's a, a section set up down there where you could go in and work if you want to instead of whatever you, you know studying you're not mm -hmm. everybody needs a break but if you're that if you're motivated like this guy's motivated it's possible and you know there's a, usually a pretty <coughs> decent sized gap from when you first sign your enlistment paperwork with the recruiter to when you actually go through mm -hmm. maps and start sure. your basic training so if we could get some online courses I mean, especially I think the, the, the AVF side of things, that could be completely right, right. done except for maybe like the week of, of lab part uh, online. And I mean, he saved basically about $8,500 in training costs because he was so quick and able to get through that course. Could we take a little bit of that money and have a bonus and say anyone that gets sure. all this That's done, you get an extra $1,000 yeah. and, and still wind up on the positive side of for things? Sure. Yeah, that's a really good idea. Yeah. So that's, you know, that paradigm of putting the, the training in the, in the students' hands. Yeah. And with Sandoval, we did that. Uh, we could do that with other students with those .edu, those Canvas-type sites where they can access the training early, before MEPS, things like that. I think the benefits to not just AETC, but the Air Force. Yeah. That's, oh, that's man, big it would be. Right there. Absolutely. <clears throat> Especially as that stuff has gotten more and more prevalent. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. It's not like it's a foreign concept. To yeah, I just completed my bachelor's degree in December, and it was all online through uh, Arizona State University. So yeah. I don't see why we couldn't put some of our stuff on that same kind of technique. And, and like I said, put a little reward out there for it, uh, and you still wind up on the positive side of things financially. Yeah, yeah that's really good. Um, do we talk about the students a little bit, like just on the on the cadre side of things, like? as far as like a ripple effect through the squadron, has this uh, had, you know, a, a, an effect like what, as far as the instructors looking at how uh, this training was delivered and maybe how we can adjust fire down. I, I mean, I realize this is a unique example. It's not going to come along all the time. Mm -hmm. but like we were just talking about, there are opportunities because of 
what was possible here to apply in a broader spectrum. Um, have there been any kind of specific discussions about that that you can remember? I haven't seen anything on, on that scale, you know, decreasing training by that many days, but we've I've definitely seen more proficiency advancements. I think instructors, flight chiefs, everyone is on the lookout for like people that come in, you know, Airman Sandoval, I wish we'd caught him sooner and said, "Oh, you have an A and P license. You're, you know, it's we could have eliminated even more training. Probably, uh, we could have if we had gotten our ducks in a row and, and done things the correct way. He might have been able to shave another five days off. Yeah, um, and skipped avionics fundamentals potentially. I don't know for, with 100 percent certainty, but uh, we we are on the lookout for students like that, uh, which is what General Quas has told us to, to do: is look for, sure. for those students that." Time isn't the constant anymore for them. They 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 have the training already, so we can uh, look for those opportunities. Yeah, we've had about two or three other students that we've been able to push through AVF since him he came through. Uh, I believe we had one person who had like a associates in physics degree and was really knowledgeable in electronics and pretty much did the same path with him. I think we had someone else who I think they tested up to like block five of our seven blocks before they failed and then we just was able to insert them into the block five class and push them through so they, they sped things up a lot. Um, you know, like, like you said, you know, proficiency testing has been around for a while. Mm -hmm. I think the thing that's different now is we actually have a lot of leadership that is talking about using it and being more flexible where before it might have been frowned on a little bit, like why, why, why are we going to do this? Right. You know, everyone else came through the course. He can just sit in the course. If he's so smart, right, it should right. be real easy for him. And that, you know, tends to kind of bore people, kind of puts them in a bad mood. Here you are, you're all excited, you're ready, trying to move on and do something. They're like, no, just sit down and shut up and go through the course. So we're, we're starting to break down those barriers mm -hmm. and I think it's really improving the Air Force and I'm hoping it leads to greater efficiencies now we have a lot of instructors that are really high on trying to make changes and trying to improve the way we teach. So the mindset's changing a lot too. And I, I would guess in that mindset change, if we can make some ground level like infrastructure changes, because I'm sure, you know, just as we've had this discussion today, the, the instructors were fantastic at supporting uh, Airman Sandoval, but the infrastructure really isn't there to mm -hmm. support this style of learning. So there's a lot of allotments that have to be made. But if we carve something off to the side that says, okay, this this new airman's been identified as someone who can fast track through this, and we already have this set up for you to fast track through this, rather than having to kind of make it as you go, um, that would probably really improve things. Oh, absolutely. I definitely agree. I think part of it is having the right tools. Mm -hmm. And you know, they've done a couple of CPI events on, on the base. And there's some different projects coming out of it. I'm really hoping that they, you know, Take reach off. full implementation because I think that they will give us the right tools that we need. Uh, one of the projects that we're interested in is, is we're looking at teaching with tablets and television. And, and tablets, they're cheap, they're efficient, and, you know, it's a flexible tool that if we do go to an online course or the ability to do online, tablet's the right tool for it for right. these students. Um, and, you know, if we bring that online, then maybe we can push that out and say, hey, if you've got smart students that are coming in and they've got three or four months before they make basic and we know that they're going to this right. particular career field, give them this code, they log on, 
they go through a non-classified course. Sure. Mm -hmm. As far as they get through, you know, like I said, we're going to have a little bit of possible some sort of monetary bonus for them that gives them a little motivation, gives them a little reward for it, and then sure. saves us some money. So maybe, you know, we get five students that come through and they complete up the block four and we can slide them into the block four test and, and push them out and give them that hands-on that they need to complete the rest of the course. Yeah, it really just needs to be, like, when I think, I, I've thought about that a lot, actually. Like, you know, I, I have kids of my own and they're in elementary school and junior high school. They bring home Chromebooks every day. Mm -hmm. but, like, we're doing this in elementary school. We're the most advanced, you know, military in the world. We, we're, we're a little behind on this. We, we, we could... We could apply some of those things if we really mm -hmm. sit yeah. down as a team. And, and they've it. talked about even, you know, all the students have their phones. Hopefully not on them in a classified course. Yeah, sure. um, but, you know, most students have their phones. They have tablets at home, giving them the access to just, maybe we don't give them the tablets per se, but they have access to the websites that they can go to and download right. stuff and work at home or on their own time. Because purchasing a lot of tablets, it is expensive. I think in the long run, it's cheaper than all the paper we go through. Yeah, for sure. But I think you hit the nail on the head with the infrastructure. Yeah. Infrastructure would be big and allowing us to do this more often and save the Air Force a lot of money. Yeah, in the long run, I agree. And that's a wrap. Just like that, episode number nine of Developing Mach 21 Airmen is in the books. So exciting to see how our Air Force and specifically AATC is working to create this learning environment that postures us in the best way possible to provide warfighters who are ready and lethal to combatant commanders around the globe. We want to say thank you to James Rumfeld and the Shepard Public Affairs team, as well as Master Sergeant Kennedy and Master Sergeant Churchill for taking time out to work on this edition of the pod for us. As a reminder, you could follow Air Education and Training Command via social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as on the web at www.aetc.af.mil. Thanks for checking out the podcast as we dive into the world of recruiting, training, and education for our entire AETC Public Affairs staff. I'm Dan Hawkins. So long. We'll talk to you next time on Developing Mach 21 Airmen.